Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. And welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. And for the rest of the hour, we're moving from the reality of homelessness to a fictional account of it. In her new novel, Living on the Edge of the Hate, writer Catherine Seligman takes readers deep into the world of homelessness. Told to the eyes of a group of mostly young street people, including the book's narrator, Maddie DiNaldo, who, by chance, witnesses the murder of a homeless young man in Golden Gate Park. The book won the Penn Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction, and Catherine Seligman joins us now to talk about it. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be with you. I've seen your byline for many, many years. Uh, it's good to read uh, this book, uh, which I highly recommend. It's got a lot of heart. Uh, and I want to just see uh, how much your reporting that you've done over the years informed this book, uh, or did you go out and do new research? Did you, did you spend time with especially young people in the hate? Um, some of both, Scott. I had lived in the hate and written from the hate and as you know been a reporter for um the examiner and then the san francisco chronicle magazine for more than 20 years and i had done many stories and talked to so many kids filtering through the neighborhood over the years but when i decided to write this book it was sometime after actually coming across the scene of a murder in Golden Gate Park, which was the seed for the book, and which sent me into a whole new uh, direction in my research. So I did do a, quite a bit of research for the book. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that, and I don't know if this is the murder you're referring to, but reading the book made me think about what happened in 2015. There were those three drifters. I think they had been down from Oregon. They shot and killed a young woman in Golden Gate Park, and then they uh, killed uh, somebody on a hiking trail, a man, a yoga yoga teacher up in Marin. Was that that the murder you're thinking of, or was it something different? That was not, and that was actually, that was the... the, um, story behind a, a wonderful uh, nonfiction book, which came out a couple of years after that. Mine happened about 10 years ago. And what's, what stands out about it, at least to me, was that it wasn't written about. No one really knew about it. It might have been one sentence in the paper. And it was a, an encounter between a man in his 60s and a kid in his 20s. And the kid ended up dying on the grass at night with no one else around Hmm. and that's what set this whole thing off for me thinking about how often people's paths crossed and we had no idea what their story was and i started looking around me and my the streets around my home and in the park with a whole different sort of set of eyes Hmm. 
Well, and in fact, a, a, a murder uh, similar to what you just described forms uh, one of the key storylines in your book. And uh, Maddie DiNaldo kind of becomes a, a private investigator on her own. Uh, not to, that sounds hokier than it is in the book, but she does. It, it is uh, she is trying to find out what happened to this young man. She's sort of haunted by it. And you know, so many homeless people. Uh, you know, we heard a bit of it in the first part of the hour. You know, people they're tired of seeing it. They don't want to look at it. They walk down the street and they avert their eyes. Was this book, to a certain extent, a way of giving voice to the voiceless and the invisible? It was. Um, that and also just my my natural sense of probably having been a reporter and a, somebody who does tend to walk down the street and look inside people's windows and think, <laughs> huh, I wonder what's going on in there. <laughs> and, you know, what's he cooking? And what would it be like if I was sitting across from him instead of that other woman sitting across <laughs> from him? Yeah, you know, just to have some of that natural, I don't know what you'd call it, nosiness. We'll call it curiosity. <laughs> curiosity. Let's call it curiosity. So, um, and so having that and also just being so stunned that this could happen right you know not not actually in my neighborhood is in the park but yeah the idea that we we walk by people and we know so little about them and actually every single person we pass as is true of the people we pass in our own homes has a story that we we don't know and often we see people on the street and we all we see is the external of somebody sitting there and yet can be annoying if you live in the neighborhood to have people blocking the sidewalk, making a, a ruckus at night. But we often don't look at the story behind what is going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I lived in the hate as well. I, when I first came to California, I lived on Masonic between Waller and Hate Street. And there weren't as many. This was quite a while ago now. But the, there has been a consistent proliferation, I think, of young people kind of hanging out on uh, Hate Street, especially toward the park. Um, and, you know, as you write in the book, their lives are complicated. You know, they're not, some of them are victims, you could certainly say, of dysfunctional families, but they also, many of them, you know, they're offered help, they refuse the help, they're ambivalent about the help. How did you think about that part of the book? Well, in my experience of talking to a lot of the kids and people who are coming through, I think that they, there's a lot of suspicion and people who've encountered really traumatic things in their past, they're often very wary of accepting help. So there's that combination of, yes, they do. There, there's so many things that each person needs in order to be stabilized and move into some kind of housing and feel like they have a secure future. But there's also a lot of suspicion so people are, are they don't want to necessarily move into a shelter. Well, of course, they can't now. Uh, this book was pre-pandemic. Hmm. But they can't now. And often if they could, it's with a lot of sort of fear and suspicion. Yeah, and a lot of it is uh, is justified. Um I'm going to open up the phone lines because uh, this is a 20-minute segment. If you'd like to talk with Catherine Seligman about her new novel, her first novel, I should say, At the Edge of the Hate, give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. We've talked a little bit about the young people in this book. Uh, The lead character, the narrator, in fact, is is Maddie DiNaldo, who I think is 20 
20 years old, or am I confusing her with Shane? <laughs> okay, she's 20. No, um, no, she's 20 when she reaches, when, when, when she tells the story, and she's lived in the park for two yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's also, sometimes visibly, sometimes sort of in the background, parents. Uh, her parents, her father, her mother, uh, and how they came in and out of her life. Um, did you talk to parents of homeless folks uh, at all, uh, or people that you know whose kids went homeless for one reason or another? I did both of that some. I did talk to people who had come through San Francisco looking for their children, who they suspected were here. And um others who I know about and and have read about. And I think it, it is this sense of, of just not knowing. And every parent's fear about not really knowing what your children think and what they're up to. And I think often we, we think we divide kids into the, the good kids and the bad kids and you know, my 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 child's he was a good kid, and that's what the father who who comes to San Francisco to find his son who's been killed is going through his mind, his and the mother's mind is what what did we do? What did we miss? What how could this have happened? And I, I think that is a common hmm. thread that parents just don't they wanna know, they can't figure it out. It's a source of incredible pain not to know where your child puts down their head at night. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of feelings about homelessness and about the homeless. Uh, they range from extraordinary compassion uh, to frustration, anger. Uh, people sometimes feel that folks are taking advantage of the system. And there's a little bit of all that in the book. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, where did you land in a particular place? Or is your is the bottom line sort of, well, it's complicated? I, I, I would say that the bottom line is it's complicated and also that I wanted to bring out how things have changed in San Francisco and particularly in my neighborhood, which is traditionally such a, a liberal place and a tolerant place. But people, there's a lot of disagreement now about how what should our approach be and how tolerant should we be. I mean, this was the neighborhood, the the sit and lie law, which is a law that forbids people to sit or lie and block the sidewalk, was passed specifically to deal with what was going on in this neighborhood, mm -hmm. this tolerant neighborhood. So people are are arguing amongst themselves about what to do. And I think um, that the answer is not to punish people who are unhoused, but to help make them aware of what their presence does on the street. And I think there's some very good programs in, in this neighborhood in Haight-Ashbury that, that do just that, that do try to communicate with primarily with kids who are on the street about you know, where congregating causes too much trouble for the neighbors. And it, it's it's very, comp yes, it's very complex. And I, I don't think there is an easy answer, but the answer isn't just to try to get people off the street and moved. Yeah. Well, and as you said, that uh, sit-lie law was very controversial. I think, 
I could be wrong, but I thought it was on the ballot and that people voted it, uh, voted to support it uh, as they did Care Not Cash, which is very controversial back in the early yeah. 2000s. Uh, Gavin Newsom promoted that. There seems to be this, in San Francisco, this kind of like liberal, outwardly liberal attitude, but on the uh, but then privately when they go to the ballot box, people kind of want to, they want a little more control of things on the street. That's is that right. your sense? Yes. Yes, that is my sense. And it's really plays out in conversations and on the internet and, you know, on Twitter here in the neighborhood about how people feel about having this population on the streets. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the phones. And again, if you'd like to talk with Catherine Seligman about her novel, At the Edge of the Hate, give us a ring at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. And let's go to Veronica in Oakland. You're first. Yes. Hello. Thank you. I never have called the line before, and um, I was so compelled to share a story uh, last October um, I discovered a dead body, a uh, homeless woman, um, in the middle of the sidewalk in busy Berkeley, like Ashby and Ashby and, um, you know, right where the cooperative bank is. And I stopped my car and saw people walking by um, and not just looking and then just walking away. And so I stopped. Um, I do mutual aid for um uh, groups like the North Oakland Mutual Aid and North Oakland Restorative Justice Council. So it's my nature mm. to, to walk and, and help. Um, and so I walked up to this person, and they were obviously deceased. Um, and even the, so I called 911 um, and stayed until people came. And I um, was trying to talk to some of the houseless people there or people who live right next door, um, and no one knew her name, yeah. which really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, and because uh, I try to learn the names of my houseless neighbors here in, in Oakland, I'm just only two blocks away from an encampment. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I just, I said prayers, I came back and um, put some flowers down, and yeah. um, I just felt like, you know, something... Um, honoring who she was, even though I didn't know her name, felt um, like just that's, you know, that's my nature to mm-hmm. um, to give name, to give, you know, spirit to uh, this person. And it just, it haunted me for, you know, several months. And then I, and then I forgot, you know, it's, yeah. it felt weird to forget because yeah. it was so profound. Yeah. Pro- profound. And also, you know, Catherine, I mean, I think many of us, I know I have, you walk past somebody on the street and they are wrapped up in a blanket. They're leaning, they're lying against a building. They're probably sleeping. Maybe they're passed out. But I think we all wonder, like, what do we do? You know, do we call 911? Does 911 even care? I mean, is, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what's the right thing to do? And I think, you know, Veronica, kudos to you for, you know, reaching out and trying to, you know, give some honor to this person's life. But, uh, Catherine, this is like, a, I think, a dilemma for people. Yes, it is. It is indeed a dilemma. And you you don't know what to do. And in, in, in the novel, she, the main character, Maddie, does come across someone in the park and she worries that he, he might be dead, um, and you know, is it, it's it startles even her. Um, so, 
so this happens unfortunately to all of us and we in in some way we get desensitized to it and we yeah and i understand that that we want to walk way around someone who's sleeping and it looks like they're sleeping they're covered and you you just don't know what to do and i, I think it's I think it's a, yeah, Veronica. That's a that's a heartbreaking story. Yeah, and all well, she was deaf, she was flat faced. You know, it wasn't a sleeping kind of thing, but mm. it could have been that she got she was passed out. You know, something like that. Sure, but mm. did you ever find out anything about her, where she came from, or where her family was? No, I never never did that much investigating. Um, uh, I I felt uh, like. Just you did what you could around. Yeah. 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 Well, but, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And I recommend the book, by the way, it might, it might be bring up some, uh, you know, uncomfortable memories, but it's uh, it definitely, a, it's a, it's a great read for one thing, but it's also, it really draws you into that world a little bit further. But Veronica, thanks for sharing the story. Thank you. And let's go back to the phones again. The number, well, I'll give it out one more time. We're getting close to the end of the hour, but it's 866-733-6786. Inga, you're next. Hi, um, <clears throat> I've called many times before uh, with Michael Krasny, but anyway, I'm a nurse myself, and I have a friend who is a social worker, and she's a director of a center in San Francisco for elderly homeless patients with um, mental illness. Most of them, of course, are um, addicted to drugs or alcohol, and... Um, the thing with housing for patients like this, I also have a background in mental health. Um, it's not that easy, even when they are placed, when they're found accommodations, an apartment or a room, a lot of times they're not able to keep that place because of their nature of their disease, because they're paranoid or because they have to give away part of the money that they get, mm. um, as as little as it exchange. is, yeah. for it, the it, housing in exchange, and it means that they can't get drugs that they need, and they're drug addicts. Yeah. Inga, I'm going so to break in because it, we're getting short on time, but I, I do appreciate the point. And Catherine, that whole, you know, there, there are trade-offs, as you show in the book with Maddie and her friends, trade-offs to getting off the streets, right? You have suddenly, you have discipline, you have rules, uh, and less freedom. Um, so it's, it is, again, it's complicated. Yeah, indeed it is complicated. And the, the, ki- the kids who tend to come through the hate are a slightly different population, but no, no fewer number of issues that she brought up. So yeah, yeah short, sh- short on time, but what would you like people to take from the novel? Well, I would hope that they would, if people would have a sense of being able to walk through it and, the city with their eyes open, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, re- less reluctant to talk to people, mm. not to, not that you need to solve everyone's problems or yeah. give them something, but just to acknowledge people that yeah. you see. Everyone has a story. Catherine Seligman, thank you so much. Her book is called At the Edge of the Hate, winner of the Penn America Literary Award for Socially Engaged Fiction. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. All right. And that will do it for this hour of Forum. I'll be back tomorrow at 9 with Ro Khanna, congressman from Silicon Valley. But thanks for listening, and thanks for the calls and comments. Have a great day.
funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.